Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde, I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm so excited to present you an amazing guest with us. The first CEO that we got in this podcast so far. Her name is Faith Carter. She went to the University of Texas at Austin and she left right about the time I came in. She did petroleum engineering. She was a senior when I started at UT Austin. She graduated from the University of Texas at Austin in engineering school. And today, I mean today, she is the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Mood & Co. It's a skincare company out in San Francisco, California. Man, she has been doing amazing work and I so much believe in her. This is one of the most exciting episodes that in this podcast so far. And please tune in. How are you? How's everything going on right now with everything with the coronavirus and everything? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine. I think I'm fortunate, but I, I think things are obviously still just very chaotic. So I mean, trying to adapt to that's been weird, but it, you know, I'm I'm doing well. How are you? Same, same thing here. The, the world is definitely in all over the place, but we just take the blessing as it comes, praying for everybody who's going through things. We hope everybody's yeah. fine. Definitely. Yeah. So you are the chief executive officer of Mood & Co. Is that how you say it? Is yeah. it Mood or Mod? It's Mood. It's Mood. mood. You got it right. Definitely. Yeah. Mood & Co. That's so exciting. Like, yeah. First of all, what is like living in school right now. Uh, you know it's different because I mainly grew up in Houston so I mean it's just a completely different type of city 100 yeah. percent um, but the ecosystem here the ecosystem of founders and people who just like want to create new things is very interesting and there's just a lot to learn so I've been I've been taking advantage of that um, over the last year of living here. Definitely. Has it, is it, has it been your dream city since you were there or is it just because of the company you moved? Yeah, it was only because of the company. I honestly never even thought about San Francisco in my life until like two years ago. <laughs> so. Definitely. So I know it's definitely a new company. What stage is it in right now? Yeah, so at Mood, um, we leverage data and um, science to build customized skincare routines. Mm -hmm. And we've started, we've been around for about a year now. And for the last year or so, we've been operating what we call like an MVP, like minimum viable product. And we've really been getting to know the market, getting to know our users. 
Um, and so at this stage, the stage I would call it is the pre-seed stage. But at the end of the month, we're actually launching our app. So okay. that's exciting. It, feels, it is exciting. It feels yeah. like a long time coming, but it's still just the beginning. Definitely. So, yeah. Wow. What's your day-to-day like as the chief executive officer? Yeah, well, it's actually really interesting, and it's always changing. So um, right now, my day-to-day is really just in Python all day. That's really the truth. (laughs) I've been doing a lot of coding these days. Wow. Um, And I think I also balance that between managing different people on the team so on the team, we've got, you know, we've got people who help with the social media. We've got people who help with partnerships. And so, you know, managing those relationships while also um, getting my hands dirty and literally writing code is what my day-to-day looks like. Wow, that's exciting. Coding, is this something you learned in, uh, in uh, I guess, in college, Python, or did you learn after college? No, I actually learned it, and it's so funny because... I studied petroleum engineering, and there was one teacher who insisted on us using Python for the classes that he taught, and I feel like I took like two or three classes from him, and his name was Dr. Foster, and when I was in the classes taking, when I was taking these classes, it felt like the bane of my existence. Wow. It was like, I, I just was not excited about it. I felt like I wasn't learning anything. But fast forward a few years, obviously I learned something and I'm really, really grateful for it. So. Wow, definitely. I'm, I'm also learning Python right now for my job. Yeah. It's, it's kind of exciting because it makes you think whenever you get a problem, you have to think through it first before you start attacking it. But it's definitely a big, a big mountain to climb. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, it's just so powerful. Yeah. It is so powerful. And, um, you know, once you realize that you can solve problems outside of the ones that people are giving you, you know, problems that you've thought up on your own, mm-hmm. uh, that, it's really exciting. Definitely. So I hope you're enjoying it. Definitely, definitely. As a CEO and the leader of the company, you're definitely all over the place making sure but also importantly making sure that everybody has the right resources to get their job done uh is that fun how, how, how fun is it for you to just get put your head all over the place or is it it's nice it is fun because i think for people like myself people who thrive in like a bunch of different roles and a bunch of different environments mm-hmm. it's so it's exciting to be able to you know, push code one day um, and then do something that's very visually creative the next day. Um, And so like that for me is very, very fun. We've got a few people um, that, we've got a few people who are new to the team who work Mm -hmm. on like a lot of visual creative elements. Mm -hmm. And I actually, one of my favorite parts is just like mentoring them, showing them um, or teaching them different different strategies that we've traditionally used to mm-hmm. engage fully with our users, and so I love it. I think it's I think it's the biggest privilege ever to get to you know do all these things that I find exciting at the same time. Definitely, definitely. How big is your team? So right now we are a team of four. Okay. Um, yeah. So and yes. we're all over 
that's amazing that's amazing that's amazing and you guys are gonna keep growing too as things keep growing Definitely. absolutely that's the goal so going back to your childhood uh I'm 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 not sure about this. I know your name is Fake Carter, right? And uh, I know in, it's in, coming. I already know in, it's coming. In, in my mind, uh, I I feel like you have roots from Nigeria, but I'm not sure. I don't want to engineer something I don't know. Is it true? So <laughs> technically um, from a factual basis, it's not true. Both mm. of my parents were born and raised here and their parents were, and so were their parents. But um, I've heard that my entire life, like, especially <laughs> growing up in Houston. Yeah. Uh, I've, yeah, I've heard that my entire life. So it's nothing, it's not jarring. But I will say that my, so last, I went to Nigeria for the very first time over the winter, this past winter break. Mm-hmm. And my father came with me, but my father was so excited. So beforehand, mm-hmm. he actually did one of those um, ancestry DNA tests and found out that he was 33% Nigerian. Wow. So that was exciting for him. So I can only like use my context clues from there. But no, I don't have um, like personal ties from my ancestry directly to Nigeria. Definitely, definitely. So growing up, first of all, how was that trip? It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, so we went with my fiance because he grew up there. I don't know if you, I know that you spoke to him last week. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Emeka. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So okay. Are, are you guys married now or not yet? We're not married. We were supposed to get married this coming December, but... Okay. It's just the COVID nineteen, yeah, and everything, yeah. And you, no, you, you yeah, you want to make it right. You want to have the right people. Yeah, make sure everybody's invited and all, all that. Absolutely. So we went with him and we stayed with his family, and wow. it was it was perfect. It was incredible. And I think even my dad, I think that was probably he, and he still says it to this day, like the best experience he's ever had of his life. So it went well. (laughs) Definitely. That's amazing. That's amazing. So growing up in Houston, uh, the city of Beyonce, right? What were were some systems that were set up for you uh, to to shine, to stay out of trouble and focus on your academic success from the beginning? Yeah. So here's the, the funny part. For like the first portion of my childhood, I would say that I was raised like a free range chicken. Like it didn't, nobody was telling me what to do at all. Mm. And the reason that was, is because I just loved school. I loved work. I loved math. Like I loved all of these things that for me, it wasn't something that like my mom or someone had to force upon me. It was something I was extremely excited to do. So that was like for the majority of my childhood. Um, but once I got to high school, obviously that's when things kind of change a little bit. And I think the, the the things that my mom did that I think really empowered me to, you know, be the person that I am today, mm-hmm. what she, she, she said, oh, very often. Mm-hmm. And 
it was always a conversation. So there were activities that I liked to do. Um, for example, like before I got to high school, I had been doing cheer and gymnastics my entire life. Wow. When I got to high school, my mom's like, that's over with. We're not doing that anymore. Like, you need to figure out how you can do So I think like during that time period, I was very upset about it. Um, and it made me very upset. I didn't have a say in it. But looking back now, like at this age, looking back, I'm like, oh, like, thank God, because I had better things that I needed to be doing. Yeah. So I think like the things that really kind of like kept me, I guess, like on on track was really just my mom saying no whenever she wanted to and doing it consistently. <laughs> Definitely. We, we, we know reasons. Huh? Right. Right. You wonder what did I do? <laughs> right. And that's the funny part. It's because like at that age, I thought that I thought it was a conversation. Like I thought that I could change her mind. And I had no idea that that was not the case. I had I didn't stand a chance. But she knew she she knew like my mom walked the path that I chose to walk. My mom was an engineer. My mom grew up in Houston. Like she kind of knew what I need what needed to be done. And so I think just having her there was really all I needed. Definitely, definitely. I think that's definitely uh one of the, the good amazing thing about the American cultures. The the mothers here in the United States usually they have a strong presence in the house. They yeah. if you usually when there's the father there he, he can't jump in but when the mom says something that's it right you have to do right definitely 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 so was that the reason you thought you focused on engineering and you decided to do engineering in college it was a big part of the reason i think when i was growing up though i had all these other experiences and again mm. coming from my mom i had all these other experiences that were kind of pushing me that direction so when I was in high school over the summer times, I wasn't allowed to just like sit at the house. Mm -hmm. So every summer it was something, it was somebody's science program. It was somebody's math program. And so I'd spend my summers like doing research at Rice. I'd spend the summer like, you know, studying history literally at Princeton. Like there were all these different things that she was just like, okay, what are we doing this summer? Figure it out and let's do it. And like, so those experiences that I had summer over summer were kind of like allowing me to figure out like what the real world looks like and what I was actually excited about. And I think the final experience that I had was my senior year at um, my senior year of high school. I was working at Rice that like entire school year and I was working in a chemical engineering lab. Wow. And a lot of what we were doing was analytical chemistry. I had a really, really amazing PI that I was working under named Dr. Zhang. And the work that, that was given to me was work um, surrounding my cells. So I'm studying my cells, I'm studying their behavior. Wow. Um, and I had these really, really expensive lasers to do it. It was kind of ridiculous. Let a 17 year old do that. Mm -hmm. But in that process, I learned a lot about a lot of different things. And so my wow. cells have tons of different applications from skincare to oil and gas. And so as I'm reading the adjacent literature from some of our peer institutions, I'm starting to get a little bit closer 
to what it was that I wanted to do in college. And this is the exact same time I'm applying for school. So at that time, um, part of the project I was working on had an oil and gas application. And I had my application for UT up on the computer. And I was like, well, um, let's, I think this is it. Like, I think this yeah. is what I want to do with it. And yeah. that's kind of what happened. Man, I wish you came in chemical engineering. <laughs> I know I probably should have honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So one thing that I noticed, everybody that I talk to is that one of the common team is the idea that the exposure, uh, they were exposed to so many things when they were younger, which motivate them to dream big and go into these fields and then eventually became the engine the engineers, the the, the medical doctors, right? The entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the biggest thing in many inner cities for our young black kings and queens are in the inner cities. They don't have that exposure at a young age. And because of that, right, it's not giving them the opportunity to imagine and dream big. What do you, do you have any opinion on that? I mean, I, I 100% agree. 1000%. I think that, I think that's like one of the scariest things to me actually one of the scariest things is that like a, a whole mass of children are being denied the ability to dream um and imagine what's possible for them and like that that's something that I truly think about often I think like and per perhaps you're familiar with Nesby Seek but there are yeah. a few programs that you know try to bring that exposure into the community and, you know, sometimes they are successful. Like, I know people who I met literally, you know, at a Nesby Seek event, and now they're at UT, like, studying CS. Wow. Like, I know children like that. Um, and it's incredible to see, and it shows you that that works. But, you know, there's only, I mean, Nesby Seek probably like a couple like 12 to 20 cities like mm -hmm. there's so more children that aren't receiving that access and so that's something that I think like I think every one of us who's become an engineer who's become a doctor who's gotten the opportunity to live out their dream I think we all owe it to our community to do um to provide that exposure to other children even if it's like way I think that you know, whenever that opportunity presents itself, we have to take it. And sometimes we even need to go for that opportunity for sure. Definitely, definitely. That's one of the biggest reasons I started this podcast, right? We want people out there, young people, to know that these places exist. They can be in these spaces, right? And you're right. Uh, when I started at UT, I think I was we, out of the chemical engineering class. It was four of us in the whole class, right? But you can't notice that now it's growing, right? When, when you started seeing the pro programs like SEEK and other programs that are doing recruiting, you start seeing more students coming in these spaces because they are more exposed to it. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us it doesn't matter what you start out with it matters where you go 
And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. From Houston, from Houston, you did your high school in Houston, then you decided to come to UT for petroleum engineering, right? Mm -hmm. now, now you can see uh, more black people in petroleum engineering, but I'm sure when you were there, it wasn't as many. How hard was it to adapt in the, oh what was that experience? Uh, my time at UT studying petroleum engineering was one of the worst like time periods of my life. Wow. Because it, first of all, let me just say, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Not from an academic rigor perspective, from an academic perspective, there was no problem. Mm -hmm. But from a social perspective, it was as if that entire department was like 50 years behind the rest of the United States. Wow. So, I mean, the types of things that these full, uh, like, full-grown adults were saying to me in office hours, like, the types of things they were saying to me in front of other students, like, the types of things other students were saying, like, it was, it was impeccable, truly. And so, like, I was the only, so obviously, I was the only Black girl to graduate um, in my class, mm -hmm. but... Man, like that was just a hard time, and that's actually one of the about like the exposure conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, once we get into this type of territory, this is where I start for more nuance because you know, I don't know that I would push another black child to study petroleum engineering at the University of Texas. Wow. I don't know if it's worth it. I think that there are other options which they can have a whole life and an excellent educational experience. I don't know that it involves the petroleum engineering department at UT Austin. Wow. Um, and I had that conversation with people within that department who were trying to recruit more black students. Um, you know, it was very, very hard and there was no infrastructure available for, there was just no discourse available, you know? Exactly. So I think it can, it can get very complicated. And I think these are some of the parts that no one talks about. And these are the parts I wish someone would have mentioned when I was 17 years old. Definitely. You know, I wish somebody would have mentioned, like, there's a bunch of other engineering's available, too. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of other spaces and environments available for you. And you're allowed to choose them based on how they make you feel. Um, and your, like, your emotional health, your mental health, like, all of these things are just as important as the academic rigor. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not yeah. end, but it's not yeah, it's definitely not about just going there and saying we want you to come to our, our school, right? It's in the situation. It's not when studies tell you that there's not enough black students in your program, you go out there and say, Okay, 
we need black students to come in our yeah. program, right? Yeah. You have to change the whole, you have to make it welcoming for them, right? Having an all white faculty, most of them have never seen a black person in their life. <laughs> they cannot let them in their eyes. It's not gonna work, right? right. Because you're gonna get black students to come and have bad experiences and then they won't tell anybody else to come back, right? right. Because it's not, it's not for them. Right, absolutely. That's 100% the case. I think, especially in, like, in a place like Texas, where you have um, tenured professors who were around during segregation and uh, sympathize with segregation. Like, I, there's some things that we just haven't brought ourselves to talk about as yeah. honestly we should have. Um, and so like, that's one of the things, it's not just about rounding up a bunch of students and getting them in your department. So much more than that. Definitely. I, one of my professor who wrote one of the books that he was teaching for the class he was teaching, our control class, right? Mm -hmm. He was talking to us about pump and he wrote this book and uh, he was explaining uh, about the loops, how like you have the, the master then the slave valve because the master valve have to control the slave and that he made the joke that uh, he, he's not sure why uh, people are offended about that. He, don't, he doesn't mean anything by it. But I'm wondering why does it feel necessary to have master and slave versus like primary and secondary valve? Yeah. Right? Why, do you have, why do you still have it? Yeah. There? You know, and like that along with, and you've probably seen this a lot in oil and gas, like when you're talking about connection. Mm -hmm. the male and female connection like those types of things I think people first of all they started somewhere they came from somewhere they didn't come out of thin air mm -hmm. um, and I think as we progress we can collectively agree that the language that we're using is not the best language we can do better Definitely. Um, but I think that there's a there are people who feel threatened by that there are people who feel threatened by that change because they feel like it's an indictment upon themselves. Um, and I think like that's one of, that's a very clear example of the types of things that, of like what I mean when I say we haven't been as honest as we need to be with mm -hmm. the conversation of inclusion. Like if you're talking about bringing someone into a space and making them feel welcome, surely you would understand, you know, why language like that can make someone uncomfortable, you know? Wow. Um, so Definitely, definitely. So, so obviously, you did amazing academically. You had so many internships uh, with with big companies. And how important was do, was those internships as you were trying to look for full time jobs? How important was those experiences? Yeah, I mean, extremely important. I think they, man. I think like the internships taught me a lot, like full-time job aside, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the different functions that I was serving in because I had the opportunity to work in drilling, to work in reservoir, um, to work in production. I learned so much, but also I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about um, the culture of the industry. Mm. And I think that that knowledge really did um, empower me to enter the job market with more clarity um as to what i was actually looking for so i think like i think it was a 
played a huge part for sure. Definitely, definitely. I remember when I was coming in at UT freshman year and came in Nesby. I remember you and uh, Emeka had, all, you guys had a lot of internships and you guys were sharing your experience. And I'm like, man, these are the role models here. It took to be like Oh that. my God. So that's so, that's like, that's so wild because to me, it feels like. So yeah, yeah. It, it mm. is, it is definitely, definitely. So you, you decided to go, uh, you took, you took a full-time job at No Field Exploration, right? Yeah. And uh, I know you stayed there for about a year or eight months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like less than a year. Talk about that experience. Talk about that. Oh my God. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, so here's the thing. In oil and gas, there's like a lot of there's a lot of failing companies. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of companies that are perpetually failing, but I, that's something that you'll ever hear on the outside. Wow. So um, little did I know, I got recruited to join a failing company. <laughs> wow. Every, every petroleum engineer is going to have this experience. I feel like, you know, I'm only 25, but most like myself and a lot of my contemporaries off before because it's oil and gas and they fail and they won't tell anyone so I got recruited to a failing company didn't know it so you know I'm like enjoying it I'm going through all these different rotations um I'm working in Utah like in the field um like the most remote areas that I've ever experienced were probably while I was working at Newfield um learning a Time learning and probably like a few months into my job, I quickly realized I was like, okay, like this is fine, this is cool, it's what I signed up for, but I'm not that excited about it. Wow. Like this is probably month two. It's like I'm not that excited about it. Like I started plan quickly. So during that time, I was this is when I really started to act on mood, actually. Um I started like just thinking about mood, thinking, like talking with my friends about it. And then as soon as I decided that it was something that I wanted to do, I started waking up like over an hour earlier in the morning. So I typically woke up at five. I'd start waking up at like four Okay. to start doing, to start working on mood. And then around five, something I'd start getting ready for work, head into work, work all day, come home, work on mood again until maybe like midnight and then just do the same thing over and over and over again. Wow. So I was doing that months i'm assembling mood with my bare hands i'm writing our very first algorithms um for recommending skincare products and a few months later we got hit with this information about an acquisition so oh. newfield was acquired um but it was really interesting because like from the top all the way up to like our ceo all the way to my manager. They're like, oh, don't worry. Like new hires are fine. Like new hires, you guys aren't going anywhere. Don't worry. Don't worry. Obviously that was a lie. Um, (laughs) And probably the next year, like earlier on the next year, they came into our offices and they were like, "Um, here's your, here's your check. Bye. Like, you know, and it was interesting because for me, part of me was hurt just because I knew that, you know, I had so these people in leadership lying 
um, saying, like telling us not to worry, telling us, you know, not to worry about looking for new jobs and things like that. So part of me was hurt for that, but part of me felt very much liberated because yeah. that was the time that I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on mood now. And so I was working more on mood. I'm still interviewing for other jobs and things like that. And I got to the final round of a job that I had actually tried to get while I was in college, got to the final round. And then when I, I woke up one morning and I was okay, would I prefer to work on mood or would I wake up every morning and go into this new job that I'm about to get? And I realized right there, like, no, I don't want, I don't want that job. I, the job that I want is right here. It's mood. I created this job for myself. Um, and this is a job that I want. And that's what happened. And after that, I mean, we incorporated and I just, I got the ball rolling. Wow. That's very powerful, man. And, and similar, thing, similar things is happening right now. So many companies, big companies are lying to people, telling them that you won't be fired, you should be fine. But then yeah. layoffs come, right? And stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the best thing that companies can do is to definitely be uh, to, to tell the truth, right? To be, to have integrity and tell the employees because these people have families, right? Or, these people have things to take care of. And yeah. on the other side, though, like I, what you just said, I feel like every young person need to know this, right? Not because you have a job mean that you should be satisfied. You should, you feel like you are stable, right? As long as you are working for someone, you think. Yeah. Somebody control. That's just the truth. No yeah. matter how big the job is, the truth is somebody control your faith, right? So after you get that big job, if you just sitting down playing video game and act like it's finished, you're right at the top of the mountain. No, like what you said is amazing. Like deciding to organize your time, knowing that time is money, right? Going to your job and doing your job and coming back at home and doing your yeah. work, yeah. right? I feel like I feel like that's how you build the legacy where whatever part of it you own it, right? And exactly. the fact that you, the fact that you took the time when you were when you when you felt stable, when you felt a little bit satisfied, you took the time to follow on a passion, kept working on it. So when everything turns out, it was just easy for you to say, "It's my time now. It's my time to shine." Absolutely, right? I. Feel like if you had, like if you hadn't started until then, it would be easy to just say, "Oh, maybe I need this new job, right?" and, and stuff like that. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think like oh, you people underestimate the emotional state that that someone enters after something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, especially right now, like I, you know, there's so many layoffs right now, nineteen, and it's heartbreaking to see because I know, I know know what people are and I know it's worse because some people have families definitely some people have bills some people have all these commitments so I understand that and I I think that one of the things that I've learned over the past few years exactly what you said like I I will not structure my life so that there is someone else pulling the strings so that they're in control of you know my potential I think I always I, I think it's important to always have your own options available to yourself, something that someone else cannot take away from you, for sure. Definitely, definitely. So after you made that decision, you called your mom, say, 
Hey, mom. <laughs> I'm about to go follow my dream. <laughs> when did she I say? Oh, my mom for I can't remember how long it was before I even told my mom. I didn't tell my mom for a minute. Wow. Like I didn't tell anybody. That's the fine part. I did not tell anybody for at least a month. I can't really remember, but no, that's not what happened. <laughs> I um I I just like kept to myself and I was just like trying to get my so one thing my mom always said to me growing up is, okay, so what's your plan? Everything, everything. It's like, oh, I, I, I have to get to practice today after school. Oh, okay, so what's your plan? She's always said that to me my entire life. So that, right after I got laid off, I wasn't like going around asking her for advice. I sat down and I was like, okay, so what is my plan? And I got my plan together. About a month later, she came into town and I was telling her, I'm like, hey girl, you want to go to lunch? She's like, lunch? And I was like, yeah. And I told her at that point, and I think she was actually a little bit more supportive than I expected because from her words and from my father's words, like it was only a matter of time. What I didn't realize, so many people around me already saw that in me. They already saw that I was going to create something of my own. And a lot of people were actually confused by me, like going and working for these other companies and things like that, because they saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself at the moment. So, you know, she had her months when she was trying to send me job positions and stuff like that. And then she got over it probably by the summertime of 2019. Definitely. And now she's just like, she's full on board. She's a beta tester for mood. She tells her friends about mood. Um, so now like, I've got that support, but I think I'd be scared for sure. Like I, I felt pressure to have a solid plan together. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us. It doesn't matter what you start out with, it matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve and paying it forward that's my definition of black excellence i mean i think that's something that's very common for moms right they, they want you to okay all the time they want to take care of you and sometimes when you're when it's not you, right? Your parents don't want you to suffer, right? But you know that you need to suffer a little bit to get where you want, right? Yeah. And 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 yeah. To be honest, like there is a big percentage of uh, thing that doesn't pan out, but you always need that support. You always need that support from the beginning. I feel like when you have uh, one of the biggest stories that I always see, like from people like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and stuff like that, is. They always had their parents supporting them, right? Yep.
Jeff Bezos, the first person who invested in Jeff Bezos' company was yeah. his mom and dad, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So after you decide, you became incorporated, right? And uh, you, you decided to go to San Francisco as a, as a black woman CEO, entrepreneur. How hard was it to integrate that ecosystem it was in Silicon so, Valley? It, it was, it still is, so chaotic. Just ridiculously chaotic. Um, San Francisco is just very different from Houston, like from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. The people are different. Um, the way things work is different. The way people are engaging with each other and like communicating, it's different. Um, so I had to just kind of like sit and watch for a little bit. Mm. Um, and I think the moment I really felt like I understood what was going on was when I started making friends and stuff with other founders and things like that. And I applied for this accelerator. So the accelerator is called Y Combinator. And essentially they provide like pre-seed investment mm-hmm. um, to startup companies. Yeah. And so like obviously invest in like Airbnb and Dropbox and all these other companies. And so I applied and they were like, oh yeah, well like come come in and talk with us. Like let's interview. And I was 100% shook. I was like, cause at the time I still felt like I was confused. I still felt like I didn't know what was going on in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I went in by myself at this time, there was no one on the team. It was just me. Um, so I go in and, you know, like I, we're talking about the product. We're talking about the business. We're talking about the company. And um, there was this one lady on the end who was just like head over heels. She was so excited. Like she was so into it. And even if, and there were like a few others that were like mildly excited, mm-hmm. but like after the interview, I wasn't accepted, but it didn't matter to me because there were people there who saw the vision and who were excited about it, mm. you know? And like, I, I underestimated how important that was to me. Mm. I underestimated mm. how much that would end up motivating me. And so like after that, I think I, I really, I gained like a new layer of confidence and I started to like build my community more. I started to connect with like more women founders. And so now I think like I've got my little, team together you know like my my people that I can lean on sometimes yeah I mean it's a constant it's a constant thing you're constantly do that definitely that I think that's how entrepreneurship works and which is why uh when you become successful you you make the big bucks right (laughs) because I I, I feel like the the workload at the beginning is so tough uh it's not about making money it's about just surviving but when you figure out how to survive, you just hit the ground running and you blow up fast. And people see that blow up and say, wow, this person, how much work went in from the beginning? Yeah, definitely. 100%. And I think like over the past few months with um, like mood has grown a lot over the past few months, especially as people are staying at home and they're looking for like new things to do at home, like skincare is one of those things. And so I think I've even had people to college with say very similar things to me as if to them it seems like mood popped up overnight you know what I mean and they're seeing it on their social 
virtual and they're like hearing all their friends talking about it yeah. and like wow like all my friends are using mood like you guys really blew up overnight and i'm like no sweetheart like, <laughs> no it's it's been a minute yeah it's, it's been a minute and so you're right you're right people people do think it happens overnight definitely and talking about that right uh so when you decided to move, leave Houston and go to go to go to San Francisco, right? Did you get a job initially? Because San Francisco is a very expensive city to live in. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. When you came, so, in, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. So no, I was just living off of the money for move. Like I was just the term that people hate this term, but it's bootstrap. So I was. I was just like living off of, my job was mood. And that's like, that's how I was supporting myself. Oh. Um, to this day, like it's, that's still the case. So no, I didn't, I didn't apply for any additional jobs. I just came out here with mood and rode that horse into town. Wow. How scary was that though? Cause, cause the thing is when you have, when you go to school, first of all, and have a degree, right? You want to be what you want, right? Yeah. But when you decide to leave your job, and go build your dream. Sometimes it's scary because there's no, there's no how to call it, uh, guarantee out there. Yeah. It's just your passion and, and your willingness to work hard. It is fun, but the fact that there's no guarantee scares you. That's true. So I will say like, that the thing is, I graduated college, first job out of college, made six figures. Okay. I, adjusted to that life but i will say one of the things that helped me was knowing that i did not work like 10 years to get there because if i would have worked 10 years to get to that point i probably would have never left because i'm thinking about all this energy that i put in to get there but mm -hmm. because it happened right after i actually didn't have the attachment to the money mm. i i i didn't i didn't arrange my my life built around this income. Um, I was living off of like way less than what I was actually making. And I kept it that way because something in me knew that like the situation I was in, like working at Newfield, for example, like something in me knew that that was not going to be forever. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it forever. Um, and so I was like always subconsciously planning for that. But I will also say like, I have this phrase of just like figure it out yeah like for a lot of things i'm always just like just figure it the fuck out truly like that's how i feel and Definitely. i feel like this is one of the things where i feel very confident that i am going to be able to just figure it out and i truly think like if anyone's going to be able to do it it's going to be me and so the confidence that i have in myself is really what was able to like push me to take that jump you know Definitely, 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 definitely. During that time, though, were there any time you felt like you felt like I should try something else, or was it keep? Yeah, talk about that. Talk about how you kept how you kept moving, man. Yeah. So this is what you know. What the, the the saving grace that kept me like going was the fact that there were people depending on mood. So one of the things that I did that a lot of people don't necessarily do is when I built like the very first version of Mood, I got users to use it immediately. 
paying I did what I could to get paying customers immediately. Definitely. Once you have someone paying you for something, there's a level of accountability that you feel. Mm-hmm. And so as you wake up in the morning and you feel like, you know, you should be doing something else, you remember that there are these people paying you and that they're expecting a product. They're expecting something from you. And that's truly what kept me going. Like wow. knowing that there was an expectation on me. And I think that comes from like just kind of the way I grew up. Like my mom had very high expectations of me. And I, and a lot of, a lot of women feel this way actually. I kind of built my life around meeting people's expectations. And wow. you know, double-edged sword, but one side of that sword empowered me to like keep going and to not give up even when I felt exhausted and tired and not capable, that expectation kept me going for sure. Wow, that is powerful, that is powerful. This is, I feel like this is definitely common, right? Because I feel like many people give up because they're not fighting something bigger than them, right? When you are fighting something bigger than you, when, when you have something else that you have to fight for, you, it's going to be hard for you to be just, oh, I'm good, right? right? Because it's not about you. It's about somebody else to be good. And you're going to do everything you can to push that hole, annihilate it, and get to where you want. Absolutely. That, that, that's, that, that's powerful. That's powerful. And one thing, growing up in an African culture, growing up, uh, and I'm sure this is many people, not just me, but parents always tell you, you need to go to school, uh, you need to work hard, get a good job, and then work for someone else. One thing that I'm very, how to call it, uh, do not like is the fact that they do not realize that working for someone else is not enough. I like the yeah. fact that they push you to go educate yourself and and and, and be good in school. But I, I want parents to start instilling in their kids go and find a way to work for yourself. Yeah. Go and find a way to be an entrepreneur. Of course, nobody can be an entrepreneur and people can work for, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like then everybody needs to be motivated to dream as big as they yeah. can, right? And working for someone is not the biggest dream someone can imagine, 100. right? And uh, definitely, definitely. So like I, and I think one of the things about that is, I, I agree with you. Um, when we were talking about exposure earlier, I think the exposure element comes into play here as well, because a lot of parents don't even know that that's a possibility. And I, I think for me, the, the, the reason I got lucky is because my dad has, and I didn't even notice, but my dad had been like pushing me to be an entrepreneur like almost my whole life. My mm. dad was an entrepreneur. My dad, when I was a kid, my dad had a barbecue spot and his dad was an entrepreneur his dad owned a hardware store in harlem new york where my dad grew up and so like that that is a pure result of like the exposure that my family had but i don't know that i would have been able to do that without that like without my father's experience without my dad's experience so again yeah i think it's i almost i really do think like if our parents knew, if our parents had the answers, man, they they would give them to us, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it's in the blood, huh? <laughs> I mean, 
or or it's just and like my dad constantly like giving me his two cents Tell and like it's definitely a mindset it's definitely a mindset when you see somebody thinking through that right it's definitely a yeah. mindset right and faith you are definitely where you are right now i want to be uh, that's something that i want to be in the future i'm not sure exactly when yet but definitely yeah. i want like, Honestly, uh, like when you find when you find out what it is, tell me, and I will do everything I can to help. Of of course, of course, and uh, one thing definitely, you are living an excellent life, and uh, and uh, and I feel like that's something we all need to try to be a thing, right? I mean, it's gonna be tough, and as I said earlier, not everybody can own things, right? But again, you can't have a job, but that doesn't mean don't come home and do your work. Don't just yeah. be satisfied. There's always problems to solve. There's always issues to solve. Yep. This is why I spend so much time working on my own stuff, no matter how busy I am doing, right? Mm-hmm. No matter the responsibilities, no matter what you have, I feel like you have to do your work, right? There's a big difference between your job and your work. Yep. Right? Your work is the legacy you're going to live in. The job, nobody's going to remember you because of your job, <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> Right, you're right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's good to have a job so you can help your family. But at the end of the day, honestly, though, nobody's going to remember you because of your job. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you one last question. What does Black excellence mean to you? Ooh. To me, Black excellence means empowering your community and empowering the people who helped you become who you are. I think there's just so many different forms. Like, you know, you're, you know, someone's, someone's mother being an engineer is black excellence, but also someone's father cleaning toilets is black excellence. Like it's not, it's not framed within capitalism for me. It's not making or what people think about what you're doing. It's framed in what you provide to your community. The only way that we can grow is by pouring into each other. Um, And if we do that consistently, this loop and we're doing everything that we can to create um to create a better future for our community so to me that's black black excellence black excellence is empowering your community at all times definitely definitely thank you so much faith thank you so much for giving me your time i know you're extremely busy uh with everything's going on and i'm really I'm really rude to you. Like I, I wanna see I wanna see you take that company big and I mean big, big. Thank you, Mamadou. It's gonna happen. I swear I'm gonna figure it out. Um, but thank you for for talking to me about all of these things. I'm enjoying your podcast so much. So if there's ever anything you need from me, let me know. I made the black queen's grace continually mesmerize the millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes. And the black man's plight no longer be the disguise. Oppression emasculation, they wanna castracize it. I just wanna be me. I just wanna be free. I just want liberty, equity, and democracy. I just wanna believe in the good of society. I just wanna believe that they ain't been lying to me. I want equality, want no more poverty. I want people to tell you it's more black people in jail for committing crimes to blacks and whites are committing. Equally, I want the corporate interest to crumble before my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that be. I want a third term for Obama, we'll never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me, I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community.
tea Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see I want you to know the truth, but for that you will have to see All people are beautiful, but you best know my people are beautiful